What is your advice for young players learning to practice? Tuning in with my student. Awesome. Um, learning to practice. Uh, I think the most important thing about learning to practice is to differentiate what is the difference between practicing and just playing. So the difference to me is when you're practicing, you're really breaking stuff down and you're most likely sounding bad. Uh, if you're only playing things that you sound good on, you're probably not practicing. Um, you should, it should sound like you don't know what you're doing, basically, because you don't. And you're trying to get better. You're trying to fill in the holes. You're trying to um, add skills. You're trying to learn new things. Um, so specifically, I can speak to what happens when students are learning tunes a lot is that they'll just turn on a play along, whether it be Abersol, I Real B, and they'll just play chorus after chorus after chorus after chorus after chorus, saying, I'm getting more familiar with the tune. And while that might be true, are you really learning anything? Are you just kind of practicing the habits that you already have? You're ingraining those habits, not even practicing them. You're you're, you're learning to um, internalize bad habits, potentially. So I think about practicing jazz in particular. You have to be breaking stuff down. You have to be thinking about how am I getting better at this? You have to think about how can I do this? I always try to approach it. Um, and I learned this from working with my friend Chris Teal when we started the Institute for Creative Music, this idea of whole part whole, meaning we approach the whole thing, <clears throat> whatever it might be. We break down the concepts, right? that are inside, we work on the concepts, uh, and then we put it back together again. So whole part whole, just like you would do with an etude, just like you would do um, with a lot of anything that you'd be practicing on the classical side. Um, it's that idea of whole part whole. So uh, I take that into context when I'm thinking about trombone technique also and thinking about, okay, what are all the parts of the technique? There's slide technique, there's articulation, there's sound, there's lip slurs slash flexibility, there's style, there's vibe, there's vibrato, there's um, like different colors to the sound, there's matching the flow of eighth notes. There's lots of different aspects that we can work out individually and then kind of put them all back together again. So it's kind of like Humpty Dumpty, right? Push them off the wall, put them back together. That's kind of how I view practicing. And uh, I think so I think the most important thing to get comfortable with and most students have a hard time with is being okay with sounding bad because you should sound bad when you're practicing. And if you're sounding good all the time, you're probably not practicing as effectively as you can. You're just running through stuff, which is cool. And there's a time and a place for running through stuff. How do you go about breaking down learning a standard or how do you instruct students to do so? Oh, this, these questions go hand in hand. This is great. So how to learn standards, how to break them down. That's a really great question. And one that we all need to kind of reckon with if we're gonna be play this music, jazz music. Um, so I think the most important thing is to throw away your Throw away your real book. That's the first part. That was when I started really learning how to play. Um, it was when I threw away my real book and started to learn tunes always from the recording uh, in the aural tradition or uh, rather than from a written music tradition. And it really opened my ears, opened my skills set, and uh, allowed me to learn more tunes faster, even though it sucks at first. It's hard at first um, to learn changes by ear, to learn melodies by ear. So basically what I do is this, I say, listen to as many different versions as you can find and figure out what is the essence of the melody, you know, cause you're going to hear Chet Baker sing it different than JJ would play it versus Freddie Hubbard's going to play it. So if you check out those different versions, you can kind of figure out what's kind of the, the common denominators here. What is, so what is the melody and what are the decorations? So you can kind of get a pretty good 
cross-section. If like Ella Fitzgerald has a version or Nat King Cole, Frank Sinatra, most of them sing the melodies pretty close. So I go to something like that to get a pretty good handle on it. Uh, learn the melody. And then I sit down and try to learn the changes at the piano. And all you have to do, I'm not a great pianist by any means. I would never play a gig on piano, but in a lesson or something like that, which can kind of get through, just play the roots, the thirds and the sevenths and uh, get get through it, you know, slowly in time, but slow and uh, break down the harmony, play those thirds, sevenths and roots. And that's going to get you 80 to 90% of what you would possibly need. And that allows you to internalize the harmony and the melody because it really has nothing to do with trombone playing to learn a song. It's really just getting it into a memory in your head because you know that there's certain songs, I'm sure from your childhood, that are of different styles that you know frontwards, backwards and sideways because you just heard them so many times. And often I find that students will... Uh, jump ahead and not listen enough times to the tune before they try to just memorize it straight away because it's an assignment at school. Uh, and that's not really uh, going to cut it in terms of like efficiency. You know, you're trying to learn it before you've actually learned how it goes. So half the time you're just trying to remember how it goes rather than learning the song or working on the song. So uh, break it down melody, harmony, and then try to make them indistinguishable from one another, that the melody doesn't exist without the harmony, and that harmony goes right with that melody. So by that, I mean like there's certain colors on dominant chords, there's certain qualities of major and minor chords that really correspond to what the melody notes are. So I try to learn them, put them together, play it on piano, sing it while playing it, and then pick up the trombone, because that all the tune learning stuff doesn't have too much to do with trombone playing, unless we're talking about like a bebop tune, confirmation, something hard, something, you know, moment's notice, something like that, where there's a lot to work out on the trombone too. But generally for like most standards, most songbook standards, we can kind of just learn the tune away from the horn and then come back and uh, deal with it that way. So that's what I do. That's what I try to get students to do. Uh, it's very difficult to get students to do that. Uh, for your information, if you are also a trombone teacher, to get them to throw away the real books and do it the hard way, that is a challenge. So um, as much, but as soon as you start doing it, the easier and easier it gets. So the sooner you can do it, the better. What do people usually do in jazz-based lessons? There seems to be a lot of established rep for classical teachers like Roshu and Exers, but not so much for jazz. Um, I think that there are uh, certain things that are pretty standard. I still do Roshu. I still do, um, I like to use the Biche book. I like to use... Arben's book. I like to use um, Bach cello suites. Those are some go-to things that I like to uh, have students do just to keep the trombone techniques together. Um, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any real better thing to use than than those. So there's those established kind of trombone pedagogical things. But then there's uh, transcriptions and tunes basically, and you got to learn the vocabulary. So um, I don't really use jazz etudes in my lessons unless. Uh, the student composes it themselves as, a, as an exercise. Um, so uh, we go to transcriptions. So we go to JJ, we go to Slide Hampton, we go to Curtis Fuller, we go to um, people that they like, sometimes modern people like Michael Deese and Steve Davis and Marshall Jilks, Ryan Keberly, James Burton. Uh, I mean, there's lots of people, Wycliffe Gordon and Steve Turay. Uh, so we, I send them to corresponding uh Weaknesses, basically. So if we're working on a certain style of playing, like perhaps we're working on 
So sending someone to JJ to kind of work on clean articulation, clear ideas, melodic ideas, sending someone to Steve Davis to get like a relaxed feel and um, just like a melodic approach to playing over changes and regular regular harmony. Um, there's... Um, yeah, that's, that's basically what jazz lessons look, look like. It's playing over tunes, playing transcriptions, composing music. I have students, or my students compose things like either tunes or arrangements or stand, you know, just all different things, all different types of compositions. Uh, because I feel like improvisation and composition are, they go hand in hand. You, you know, can't be a great improviser without being able to think of music, right? So um, you have to think about it in real time and also out of time. So we kind of go back and forth between those things. Um, then, then there's just trombone technique and kind of being able to work on slide technique and all the normal things that you would do, but kind of put into this style. So we study different styles, we study different eras. Um, some students, um, we, I try to give them a whole overview. Sometimes we do pixie plunger stuff. Sometimes we do big band kind of stuff, sight reading stuff. I like to play duets. Um, yeah. So Brian, I hope that gives you a good idea. It's kind of the same, except doing a lot of improvisation, trading, playing back and forth, uh, showing vocabulary, bits of vocabulary, playing the piano, understanding harmony, talking about music theory. Um, I guess there's a lot more of that probably than uh, would be necessarily in a classical lesson, but just trying to understand harmony and voice leading and all of that and imp improvising those things like harmony and voice leading and things like that. How do you like to try new things in your compositions? In other words, how do you avoid writing similar stuff over and over again? Um, I think there's a certain amount of similar stuff that comes out in my music. Um, similar sounds or similar like root movement or similar things because you like certain things. You know, you like the sound of certain colors. You like the sounds. So sometimes they... Um, uh, just kind of work their way in. So some ways around that to try new things is to incorporate different compositional um, approaches, meaning like, okay, if I write a tune in a certain key and I'm like, oh, this sounds like another tune that I already wrote, I'll say, okay, well, what happens if I play it in a different key? And usually a different key will send me in a different direction because uh, to me, different keys have a different feel, like uh, B flat feels a lot different to me than G, for example. Uh, I like G a lot more than B flat. B flat feels very bland uh, to me. E flat feels very bland, kind of, bleh. and but like D and G feel and G flat. They those all feel like richer to me. Like G and D are brighter, but G flat and D flat are kind of warm to me in my ears and I just how I hear things. But um, so if I move things from one key to another, it kind of changes the context of the melody, like if it was dark and then put it into a bright key, it kind of feels different and gives you different ideas about where you might go with it. Uh, hello, Hike, hope you're doing well. Oh, how's Eastman? Um, so I think about putting in different key is one and then like uh, using just traditional classical quote unquote techniques like uh, what would happen if I played this in inversion or retrograde? What would happen if I kind of break this down to its essence, the essence of the idea, and then reorchestrate it in a different way. What happens if I do the harmony first? What happens if I do the melody first? What happens if, you know, just trying those different things. Uh, and then not really judging myself too much about if it does sound like something else and saying, well, well, this sounds kind of similar, but uh, that's all right. I'll just write something more tomorrow and uh, creating a practice, you know, 
compositional practice. The best things for me come out in compositions when I'm doing it regularly, like uh, every day or every week at least, and kind of putting a few hours a week into composing, just like if you're writing you know, text, putting just some consistent time and effort into it each and every day or every week uh, leads to new ideas. And for me, that's super helpful. So I hope that helps you, Spencer. Um, just keep writing, keep exploring, keep learning new tunes, uh, look at scores, discover new sounds, you know, just try different things. When something catches your interest, you know, like I listen to a lot of pianists and guitarists, and when there's some kind of like interesting voice leading or interesting kind of harmony, I try to transcribe it and say, what is that? How can I use that? You know, so listen to composers you like, steal stuff from them. That's what we all do, right? So I think Stravinsky talked about that, right? The greatest composers steal, right? So, um, that's how it goes, man. You just got to steal, make it your own, but keep writing. That's what, that's the best advice I can give you. Keep writing and eventually you'll find some stuff that's new and push yourself to write for new ensembles or, you know, I do find I write differently if I'm at the piano than if I'm on the trombone. There's certain easy things to do on piano. There's certain easy things to do on trombone. So, um, often I like to sing what I'm playing to see if it feels, feels right. You know, does it feel good? Is it too noty? Is it not noty enough? Is it boring? You know, you got to sing it usually to feel how that how that feels. So, hope that helps you. How many students do you have in your studio, undergrad and graduate? I just looked. Seventeen are in the studio right now. Um, the undergrads, the freshmen and sophomores, aren't studying with me at the moment, but. Um, they uh, they take classical lessons for the first two years. For the first year, we do a, a class called Jazz Styles and Analysis. No, that's not what it's called. It's called Jazz Performance Fundamentals. And our Jazz Performance Fundamentals class is taught by me. And we it's basically like a group lesson with the first year students. And we talk about playing and improvising and playing in um, big bands and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, so right now we got 17. Um, I don't know exactly what the breakdown is. I, I might... I wrote it down last night and then my paper's out in the other room. So, but uh, that's where we're at at the moment. But overall, the studio has, the trombone studio has, I think about 80 to 90 uh, between all four faculty members. There's Tony Baker, Natalie, Natalie Mannix, and uh, Steve Menard. So he's, he's talking about um, getting mechanical licenses for streaming and for, um, yeah, printing CDs. So this is a left turn. So let's go left here and talk about music business for just a second. Um, so what he's talking about is when you do a cover song and you put it on your album, um, what is a mechanical license and why do you need to have it and when do you need to have it? So um, if you are printing CDs and you're going to sell them, you need to get a mechanical license for all the ones that you're going to sell. Uh, all the ones you're going to print and sell. So if you're doing 500, you can get 500 mechanical licenses. It comes out to, there's a standard rate. I forget exactly what it is, but it, it's like for the first three minutes and then it's for some four minutes. No, no, five minutes. And then it's for so many minutes after that first five minutes. It's like nine cents or something like that. Um, but it also depends on the composer and all those things. So I use two websites. I use uh, songfile.com or this is kind of, it looks very scammy, but it's totally cool. It's easysonglicensing.com. Uh, I've used both those for years, and those are cool. But you need to have mechanical licenses for printing and for streaming and for downloads. So if you're going to sell downloads on your website, you need to have it. If you're going to sell streaming on Bandcamp, you need to have it. Um, 
if you're doing streaming on Apple Music or Spotify, they kind of take care of those mechanicals there. But if you're doing streaming from other places, um, you need to have some licenses because you need to cover your, yourself and make sure that if somebody with, who owns that song is coming after you, like if you play, I don't know, Stardust, for example, you need to, uh, the Hoagie Carmichael estate might want to come after you if you don't pay for the mechanicals uh, on their on their composition, right? So um, you need them anytime you're going to release something uh, and that's not in the public domain, basically. If somebody else owns the tune, you got to... Um, You've got to uh, pay for it. You got to pay for it. So there's three types. And one more time, there's physical mechanicals. There's streaming, like a permanent stream, like you're streaming it on your website, for example. And then you have, um, uh, sorry, the third one would be digital downloads. So if you're selling on Bandcamp or something like that, you got to pay for the covers. You can buy them a little bit at a time, 50 at a time, 100 at a time. And if you go platinum and you sell tens of thousands, you can go back and buy more. So uh, we usually always just advise people to buy 100 and then they can always get 100 more, 50 more, whatever, as things uh, progress. But you want to be covered. You don't, you don't want to get yourself in trouble later on. Uh, so definitely take care of that if you're releasing some music. Um, hope that answers your question, Alan. Um, but that's what you need mechanical licenses for streaming for. Um, Spotify and... Um, Apple Music pay theirs through Sound Exchange. So if you're not if you're not registered with Sound Exchange, you need to make sure you're registered with Sound Exchange. If you're uh, if, and that's also so there's like all these different things. You want to be on Sound Exchange. You want to be on a PRO like BMI or ASCAP, um, and you got to want to make sure you're registering all of your uh, tunes with Song Exchange. So make sure you're on all of those three platforms or two platforms three platforms and get make sure you get the mechanicals don't be that guy uh because i think you can like release stuff on cd baby and stuff without necessarily proving that you have it but um, you don't want to get caught in a legal mess like later so please take care of those things so thanks for being here and we'll catch you next time